Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Ilya with the Spectrum Strategy Group. And in this episode, I am going to take you through the um, IEP process and and form uh, specifically. And we're going to talk about all the different pieces that uh, are in the form and therefore all of the pieces that you need to look at for the process. Um, And so uh, when we say IEP, we're talking about the Individualized Education Program. Um, And with that said, a lot of people also refer to it as an Individualized Education Plan, which I suppose it is a plan. Um, But officially, it means the Individual Education Program, IEP. And um, I'm going to take you through all the components, similar to how I did the Individualized Family Services Plan, so the IFSP. And so... Very good. So my goal is to be able to get through all of this form in one episode. Um, so let's see how we do with that. So um, so the first thing is I do have samples of, uh, you know, three samples of IEPs that I will be posting in this description. So you have one that will be from uh, Kentucky County Public Schools. And you have another uh, one that is from the main department of education. And then I have another um, sort of a guide, again, similar to what I did with the IFSP. The guide is from uh, understood.org, and that uh, is a really great resource. So I'll put all of those uh, links in um, in the description of this podcast, so you have those. Um, and the other thing I will say, and as we move through, there are a lot of samples out there. Um, and so what we want to make sure we do is that in the samples that we see, we want to make sure that everything is very specific, very detailed, um, and that everything is measurable. So if you remember me talking about creating SMART goals earlier on, so if you go back to one of the earlier podcasts, I have one about creating uh, goals. And we want to make sure that when we're doing goal creation that they fit that SMART model, right? So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, given the resources that we have, and time-bound so that we know how to measure our particular goal. And I'll, I'll talk about this again as we move through the form because actually the goal part of this plan um, comes after a lot of other information that it is, that is in an IEP. So 
we will get there. Um, but for now, let's talk about uh, the IEP itself and the form. And I really like understood.org does um, have anatomy of an IEP. And <laughs> it's very it's exactly what it is. So we're going to dissect, uh, dissect the IEP right now. So when you first look at an IEP, um, you may notice that the document is kind of uh, hefty. Um, and again, this is both for families who are going through this process with your child, also for educators who may not know what this form looks like. I know that was my case uh, when I first started early on. I had not seen what this form looked like. Um, and so, you know, when I got several of them from for my students, I was like, oh, wow, I, this is hefty and it, I'm going to sit and have to um, go through this. And I hope I understand what I'm looking at. So I'm hoping to uh, help you all with that. So when you uh, get the form, um, what should be on there is, of course, the school district, the name of the school, the address, uh, and then whoever contact uh, sort of who's responsible for this process um, in the, in this uh, at this particular school or for this particular district and how to contact that person. So it should be email, phone number, etc. Uh, and then what else is on here is the dates of the IEP. So you will see uh, a year time frame on there. So if it goes from April um, to April, it would be in our case here, let's say right now it's uh, it's the end of January. So we would have January 27th, um, 2021 to January 26th of 2022. So that's how um, the dates on the IEP stand. And then you should also have on here um, the meeting date uh, perhaps could be on here that you're starting this process or you're talking about this process. Um, and it should be the pretty close to that beginning start date, right? Um, and then the other stuff that's on here is the student name, their date of birth. Your student or your child might have a, a number that's assigned to them, so a student number for school, so that could be on there as well. You should have the student's address, the student's um, you know school that they're in, which school within the district are they in. Uh, it, it has their grade, their gender, um, so it could have a lot of demographic information and that, that came very a little bit, but of course the most important things should be on there. So date of birth, what school they're in, parent contact, what grade, age, um, the dates of the IEP, and that kind of thing should be on here. Okay, so those are the first things that you would see. And then the next piece that you will see, in some cases, you might see the eligibility on here. So what that means is, uh, why is the student on an IEP? So how do we know that they're eligible to receive that? So in um, some states, you might see that up front here. In other states, it might be a separate form. Uh, I know in the state of Massachusetts, it's a flowchart, like seriously a flowchart. So you, it says, does the student have a disability? Yes, no. And then if you hit yes, you follow down one path. If you hit no, you follow down another path. Uh, and then it takes you through the eligibility. And, you know, as I'm talking about that now, perhaps uh, that could be a topic of another podcast is what is the eligibility uh, criteria look like. And again, this can vary from state to state. However, um, eligibility federally pretty much is the same. So some of the areas that a student would fall un under for eligibility could be 
obviously autism. That's why I'm here. Um, but it could be developmental delay, visual impairment, um, you know, emotional disturbance. And so I'm reading through some of the different areas that could be checked off. Uh, intellectual disability, speech or language impairment. So in this part of the form, you either would have done this as a separate form to determine eligibility, or it could be housed at the beginning of the IEP itself. So depending on your state and depending on how um, you do that eligibility, it could be part of the same meeting, uh, and sometimes it's separate based on all of the assessments that were either done at school or were done uh, privately, and it, it should be a, a kind of a compilation of both. And so with that, then we kind of move on into um, sometimes you will have the different people who are part of the IEP team, and that would be, um, you know, it could be sort of like a cover page, or maybe it is, it's housed within, again, the, sort of the first pages of the document. So it's who is on the team. So we would like to see here, of course, um, you know, it might be the student's teacher or teachers. Uh, it would be a general ed teacher, special education education teacher. Uh, of course, the parents should be on there as well. Um, there might be the uh, special ed uh, chair, team chair. So that's the person who would uh, be the facilitator of the meeting. You might have a particular case manager that's working on there. Um, it could be a speech therapist on there. OT could be on there. Um, so there's a lot of different people, but you just want to make sure that everyone um, that is represented at the IEP meeting, and that will be providing input into the IEP, is reflected on the IEP itself, you know, on the actual paper document. So that's another piece of this, uh, of this form, is to house the um, special education team or the IEP team more accurately. Okay, so now what we do is we move into uh, the next piece where in some Again, on some forms, you might have the first part be the uh, the parent uh, and or student concerns. So that would be the next part of the form. And here uh, you would actually write out, the parents would write out what their concerns are um, for their child. And, you know, maybe it would include some areas of challenge at home and at school and also, um, you know, and really sort of anything that the parents parents are concerned about academically and with the child's development, both at school and at home. And then uh, you noticed I also said student concern. So as our as a student starts getting a little bit older, we want to make sure we include what they uh, include their input as well. So when I say older, I don't just mean once we get to transition age, which would be 14 or slash 16, um, and that'll be another podcast. Uh, but I'm also talking about if a student has concerns as young as six or seven, eight, nine, right? And as soon as we start hearing, um, you know, mom, I'm really having difficulty at school because uh, I feel like I can't keep up with the other kids. Um, or you hear as a teacher, you might notice that um, the student's coming to you and saying, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, get anxious before I, I start getting nervous and my belly bothers me before we start um, to do a test or a particular activity, right? So we need to reflect those concerns of the student also here in this form. 
And this particular part, uh, again, can fit into different areas on the form depending on what state you're in. So uh, definitely look up um, your particular state's IEP form. So you just type in individualized education program or IEP, put in your state, uh, and you should be able to find it. Now, there is a similar type of form in Canada because I was I saw that as well. Um, and I also know that there are similar processes in, uh, in England and I, I'm also in Australia, but I don't know what those forms look like. But I'm pretty sure if you type in, you know, education plan and the uh, country that you live in, the the you know province that you live in or the you know the town or city that you live in you should be able to find at least a sample um this should also be able to be provided by your school and your district. So again, that's another place to find this information out um, your local school district's website. So as we move through uh, this form, we now have after the parent and or student concerns, we now move into the student strengths. And we have here, um, and again, depending on how this form is designed, uh, we would also have any assessments that have taken uh, place here. And in those assessments and evaluations, we do also want to highlight the student's strengths. So again, we want to make sure we're coming from a place of strengths when we're looking at um, a student's progress. So uh, we want to include educational strengths, interest areas, any um, significant personal attributes, you know, any other personal accomplishments. Um, And then, yes, we're going to talk about the different evaluations. So within this next section, we would have all of the different evaluations that have taken place. Um, Most likely they will be within the last year, you know, from when the last IEP was. If this is a first-time IEP, Oftentimes you'll see more than just the current year because maybe there were assessments and evaluations done by uh, a pediatrician or by a neuropsychologist. And uh, I actually have a podcast earlier on about assessments. So definitely check that out. But anybody or maybe a speech therapist or maybe an occupational therapist, all of those pieces should be housed here. Like I said, most likely they will be whatever the most recent evaluations are. That's what should be on here. You'll have, um, you should have the scores that are on here. You should have all the different percentiles. There should also be summaries that put what the findings are and what the outcomes are of the assessments. There should be a summary and language that is much uh, simpler, sort of a summary of what needs to happen now that we have this information. So if through the assessments we find there are challenges and different um, areas of deficit, we would then pull that information out. There should be a summary and sometimes there might even be suggestions uh, from the person who did the evaluation. So all of that should be in here. Um, So again, this is why the document starts to get a little bit hefty, right? Um, And then once we have all of the assessments, we then move into the area where it would say, what is the student's uh, disability? Now, again, it depends um, what state you're in, where that is housed, but then the, the 
the term is what is the primary disability? And so for, you know, the most of the people that I work with, it would be autism uh, or autism spectrum disorder. Uh, uh, they could put ASD, but it could be, you know, all different things. It could be ADHD. It could be speech and language. Uh, it could be, you know, developmental delay. All of those boxes that I mentioned earlier, those could all fit in here. Uh, some people put only one basically the primary one. Um, sometimes people put more than one in this box too. So really it's whatever you as a team decide goes in that box. Now, once we move past there, we will also see a vision statement. So a uh, vision statement is what does uh, the student see as a vision for themselves? What do uh, the parents see as a vision for the student? And what do the students, teachers, and other educational providers see as a vision for the students? So again, um, it really needs to be specific and detailed. And as we move into a student going into middle school, high school, and then we start thinking about the transition um, process, we need to get much more specific around that area. So that would be the next piece that you see is the vision statement. And after we have all of those pages, <laughs> we now move into what some people refer to as uh, PLEP, uh, the PLEP part of the, <laughs> of the individualized education plan and or program. Um, and that is some states actually break that down into two sections. So there's PLEP A and then there's PLEP B. So PLEP stands for Present Levels of Educational Performance. So that's what PLEP stands for. If we break it down other than just the one section and we break it down into two where it's PLEP A and PLEP B, um, PLEP A always refers to uh, the general curriculum, right? So we're talking about English, history or social studies, science and technology, mathematics, uh, and other curriculum areas. So um, it, maybe there's um, a language in here like Spanish or French. Those could fall in here as well. Um, and, uh, you know, anything that would be, uh, you know, a primary academic, uh, you know, curriculum. As we move into other educational needs, that would be PLEP B. And so those, uh, those areas that fall under um, PLEP B are things like social emotional needs or occupational therapy or speech therapy. Um, ABA might fall under here. Okay. So those are the other things. The first PLEP A, which I'm going to talk about now, uh, that is everything that we kind of know as our general curriculum. So um, basically the, the four main subjects, we might have a language like uh, in there. Uh, we might have art, music, phys ed. All those pieces would fall under PLEP A. So um, under here, we would check all of the areas where the student would need support. So if it's all of the academic areas or all of the general curriculum, then we check them all off. Um, if There's also always a section for other. So other might include, if they don't have it listed, it might be Spanish, it might be um, you know, art, it might be music. So we have to specify what the additional areas uh, in curriculum are that we're adding here. 
Then, after we've selected all of those pieces, the next area says, how does the disability affect progress in the curriculum area or areas? So we would break it down again by English and history or social studies, uh, science and technology, math, Spanish, art, music, and so on. So we would put all of those things in there, and then we would give specific examples of the areas of concern. And then... Below that summary, we now have um, accommodations that the student might need. So we are now saying what kind of accommodations uh, are needed for the student to make effective progress. And so here we list them all out, and they break them down into different types. So we have instructional accommodations. We have environmental accommodations. We have organizational accommodations. um, We have assessment accommodations, and there might be more. Um, But what we list under here are different, I would say, call them tools and strategies that a student needs to be able to access the curriculum like every other student. So we might have um, breaking down uh, the curriculum into smaller chunks, uh, providing visual cues, uh, clarifying directions. Maybe we read them. Maybe we write them down. Maybe we create a checklist. Um, We also would list in here any sort of technology or assistive technology a student uses. Is there a laptop, a tablet? Uh, Do they need a scribe? Are they using voice to text? Um, We would put all of that in here. Do they get a modified amount of work? So we're not talking about modifying curriculum. That is different. Here we're talking about, well, if we want to test for knowledge on how many math problems a student can complete, uh, can we assign only five? And once we see that the five problems are done, that's fine, as opposed to maybe there would normally be ten. Um, now, we're not modifying the, uh, the curriculum at all. All we're doing is modifying the amount of output we're expecting a student to, uh, to do. So that's something else that gets put in here. Um, we also would have some environmental things. So, you know, creating breaks uh, during the day. Now, you'd be very specific here. What kind of breaks does the student need and when? And, and what are they going to do when they go on a break? What does that look like? Uh, we would also put in here um, check-ins with um, a teacher, check-in with a paraprofessional, checking in with a special ed teacher uh, to maybe there's a checklist that we need to go through for packing, uh, packing up at the end of the day to go home. Or maybe there's an unpacking checklist when the student first gets to school. There are things they need to do. Here we'd also put timers um, if we need to use a timer. Uh, during curriculum or during, you know, task completion, we would put that in here as well. And there are as many, <laughs> as many uh, accommodations that you can think of that would help a student. There are that many. There are so many different strategies and tools that one could use. What we want to make sure we capture in this area are all the things that we're actually using. And oftentimes many teachers, um, and if you're an educator, you, you know you're, you've done things in the classroom to help students because it's natural. You just do it. And um, I, I call that just good teaching. But what we want to do is make sure that whatever you're doing in the classroom that might be helping a student, that we capture that and that we write it down in the IEP. Because if we miss that, you know, another person working with a student um, might not know that you did that. 
So my example, when I'm creating uh, an IEP document and working with families and with schools, is that if the family decided to move tomorrow and they needed to bring this document with them to another school, the new school should be able to look at the document and be able to reproduce what was happening in the previous school so that the student can make progress in the new school. And in fact, we might need to add something to that. We might need to add the transition to a new school, right? So we need to update it. Um, But this document, anyone should be able to look at it and know exactly what is being done with a student uh, to help them access the curriculum. So, um, again, we could go through organizational accommodations. Uh, Maybe there's a graphic organizer that's used. Maybe there's a way to organize their space. Uh, Perhaps there are... there's, uh, you know, they have to find a quiet space to do work during certain periods of time. Um, but again, all of that needs to be very specific. So if we're using a particular uh, space or, you know, quiet space for a student to work, when are we using that and where and who is monitoring them? And, you know, is it only for certain Uh, types of tasks? Is it only for certain uh, subjects? So we need to make sure we put that in there. Now, any accommodations that we're using to access general curriculum, which is basically your day-to-day coursework at school, we need to make sure we put those also in place for whenever a student gets assessed. So for all types of testing, That includes um, all sorts of classroom tests, like your regular quizzes and, you know, your regular math tests. It should also carry over into any district testing that gets done and also carry over into, into any state testing that gets done. So we need to make sure we capture all of the accommodations we're using earlier and make sure we also put them under assessments as well. And there might be additional ones that need to be put in in here. So it might be that a student gets additional time for uh, assessment completion or for test completion. And we need to put what that time is. Is it time and a half? Is it double time? Is it unlimited time? Um, And if it's unlimited time, then I would also question that because then I would say, okay, how are we going to know when to cut this off? Why is a student getting unlimited time? And how do we navigate maybe some anxiety that would come with that? So sometimes that one is a big one, uh, extra time on tests. So we need to just be very specific as to why we're implementing the strategy and tool and accommodation that we have listed here. Then if we move into the next piece after accommodations, the next area that gets asked is, is there any specifically designed instruction that is needed to help a student make effective progress? So are we actually modifying the curriculum? Are we actually modifying how we teach in order for the student to learn? And so here, um, you know, there would be a checkbox that says, no, we don't, we don't modify content. The content stays the same. Maybe the amount that we ask, like that math example that I use, um, might get, uh, you know, modified, but how we teach the the concept itself. So if we teach multiplication a certain way, we're going to teach that the same way to the student because they're able to to learn that. It's just that maybe their output needs to be modified. So that's the difference there. Um, The other thing is, is how do we deliver content 
could be put here too. So maybe a student needs um, extra, a, a particular type of breakdown of the work. Uh, maybe we're using a particular uh, program in the school to help access uh, reading and helping with decoding. Whatever that is, that would kind of go here. So that's what goes into this um, this area. If we're using social thinking, if um, you know we're using the literacy collaborative, or if we're using um, some other type of structured program to access math, reading, uh, social skills, any of that kind of stuff, that could go here as well. Now, once we're done with that, um, there's a section here that says performance criteria. So we need to know how are we going to monitor this student's work and how will we know to assess the student's um you know, how are they, that they're achieving their goal, that they are making effective progress. So, I mean, generally, I would say almost all the time, it's going to be a combination of different things. It will be, um, you know, maybe they are assessments like tests. Maybe it's a portfolio of work samples of what they're producing. So in this case would be maybe writing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe there's a writing sample. Um, it could be data collection. So if we're uh, using a speech therapist or we're using uh, a social pro social skills program or we're using an ABA technique, um, then maybe there's data being collected in there, which there should be. Um, then that data would be part of this performance criteria. We also would have some level of uh, teacher observation, but if we put that in there, we need to make sure that uh, we're very specific about what the teacher is observing. So what parts uh, would the teacher be observing? Uh, we could also put in here, you know, parent observation as well. So those are different areas that can fall under here, depending on what we're looking at. Now, if we move into uh, present level of educational performance part B, now we're talking about other educational needs. So let's get the general curriculum out of the way, which is a lot already. But now we're moving into uh, part B, which are other educational needs. So here it might be adapted physical education. It might be Braille. Um, I'm reading you the choices, but there could be some extracurricular activities, maybe social emotional needs, occupational therapy, maybe there's speech, assistive technology, uh, communications, maybe there's um, language needs, behavioral needs. Uh, so it's a lot of stuff that could fall under here. So we want to make sure that we capture anything else that we might need to look at um, in supporting the student. Then there's some areas here that, you know, it might be we're looking at a particular age group. And again, this can fall in different places. So there will be maybe specific things we need to address for ages three to five. Another particular area that we would look at for children up to the age of 14 and that yet another area for children who are ages 16 and up. Um, again, this depends on the state that you're in. Now, something to remember here when we talk about age-specific considerations, the IEP is designed for students age 3 all the way up to age 22. So, um, you know, you, you could have a student now... Typically, students might graduate between the ages of 17 and 19, um, depending on where their birthdays fall and when they started school and all that kind of fun stuff. But if we look at 
um, supporting special education needs, this will overlap. It could overlap up until the age of 22, and it actually falls just before that 22, 22nd birthday. Um, so this form might stay with your child or with a student for a really, really long time. And so this is going to be sort of like that roadmap to get us to that post uh, high school life, post school life. Um, so that's why it goes up to that age. And so uh, in this section, we might want to be pretty specific about uh, considerations given the student's age. Now, if we move on from here, uh, we will now start talking again about how the disability of um, affects progress in the specific areas now that we're talking about here in CLEP B, which are other educational needs. So, you know, how is how is a person's disability affecting their social uh, emotional needs, for example? And that's a pretty popular one when we're talking about students with autism, right? That one is going to usually rise as something that we need to make sure we look at. And so we would explain very specifically how the student's diagnosis is affecting their social emotional needs. And then we talk about that here, how it's being affected. And then the next piece is what type of accommodations do they need to be able to address that particular area of need, right? So we go through the same process again. We look at what kind of instructional accommodations does the student need? What kind of environmental accommodations does a student need? Um, uh, again, organizational could be another one and assessments. So those are, again, all of the pieces that we would look at. So Again, there are so many <laughs> different accommodations that we could put in there um, and a whole bunch of different strategies. And we just want to make sure that whatever we put in there is very specific. And again, always use the filter that if someone were going to pick this up and look at it, you switch, you know, you switch schools quickly um, or a new teacher steps in because the other teacher has to leave for whatever reason. They could look at it and know exactly what to do. Okay, so as we move past the accommodations under PLEP B, we again have the same questions. Do we have any content modification? Um, and then what kind of delivery are we going to use to help this student work through those particular um, areas of need? So we can again, and you know, maybe this is where you put, we're going to be using speech, uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, perhaps it's ABA therapy again, um, this is where we would add that very specific uh, to these other educational needs. And then, again, we're going to ask for performance criteria. What are we going to use to measure progress, essentially? So we put that in here as well. Okay, now we're kind of done with PLEP A, PLEP B. We've given everyone the background on, you know, pretty much who is this kid? What is their disability? What kind of assessments have they had? What are the areas of challenge that we're seeing in general curriculum and beyond? And what kind of tools and strategies can we implement to help meet those needs? And what kind of programming and what kind of educational strategies are we implementing? So great, we have all of that information. So there's a lot there already. But now we move into the next piece, which is where most people think um, the IEP kind of starts, which is we need to create goals. We need to create annual goals for this student. 
And that is true. But we cannot create these very specific measurable goals unless we have all of that background information. And all of that background information uh, needs to come from the families, parents, uh, all of the teachers working with the student, any therapists that have been working with the student, uh, also any assessments and evaluations that get done inside and outside of school. All of that data is collected and then we, we sort it into these pieces so that we can better uh, get a really good holistic picture of a student and then we break it down from there into, okay, now that we have all of this information, now we can go on to creating goals. Now the interesting thing about creating goals it is not likely that you will be able to cover all of the areas of need every year. <laughs> so we need to make sure that we prioritize what are the things that are most important and most affecting the student's progress right now. As I mentioned, the IEP is a document that's going to last with a student for a long time, theoretically. So what we want to make sure is that... Um, you know, we pick the things that are mostly addressing them right now, that are the things that are most critical right now, and we prioritize them first. The other pieces we will get to. We'll either get to them later on in this year, or maybe it's next year, or maybe we are going to still work on the same goals year after year after year, uh, but we're working on them in a different way, at a different level. Maybe we're hitting deeper layers. Um, so this has to be very specific. This is the individualized part of an IEP, is making sure that we're picking the goals that make sense for the student to make progress for this coming year. So uh, here we would have, we could have all sorts of different goals. And I honestly, it's very hard to kind of, you will see some sample goals in the samples that I'm posting. Um, what I can only emphasize is first, pick your priorities. Two, make sure that they are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. So that way we know exactly what we're going to be doing. We know for how long. We know what the expectation is. We may or may not meet that, but we need to capture it somewhere. So this is where we would put that, that information. You know, sometimes some students maybe only have two goals. Some students have eight. It really just depends on the student and, and what we're seeing are the key needs here. Uh, these could include organizational goals. Um, other executive functioning challenges, writing goals. This could be speech goals. These could be social communication goals. Um, it could be emotional regulation. It can be, um, you know, maybe they're very specific ABA goals. Maybe we're looking, maybe it's toileting. That could be another piece. Uh, maybe it's being able to dress themselves. So we might have uh, daily living skills can fall into here. Um, maybe we're preparing for transition into uh, beyond high school, right? So what, this, what does the student need? Now, the transition plan is a separate process and a separate form, but the information that comes out of that process then is reflected on the IEP by creating goals that help meet that transition plan. And when we get to transition plan, we'll talk about that. But this, this, these goals need to be very specific to what a student's desired outcome is for this year. So um, once we put the, we write our goal here, um, we also want to be very specific about um, 
what you know what's challenging we want to make sure that it's attainable uh, we again challenging is interesting because uh, we also don't want goals that are super basic and super easy and not building learning and not building development. So we want to make sure that the goals are challenging, um, but we also want to make sure they're realistic and that we'll have this sense of accomplishment and that we'll be able to use that skill as we move forward. Uh, and then in, in here, we would need to have uh, for the goal, once we've decided what the goal is, we want to assess what the current level of performance is with that goal. So if we're talking about reading, uh, we would write in here, where is the child currently at with their reading ability, right? And so what are the challenges? Are they having difficulty decoding? Maybe they can't, uh, they can't identify letters. Uh, maybe they are having difficulty with word sounds. This is where we put all that information. And then what we can do from here is... Um, once we know what they can do and what they cannot do, then we can write the goal, which falls under that. And then we can say, okay, based on their current level of performance, this is the area that we need to work on, and this is how we're going to work on it. So we have the how, and then below that, we have the benchmarking, right, which is this is how we're going to measure it, and this is how we know when the student has met this particular goal. Now, again, there could be sub-pieces to all of that. And when you look at the examples that I've posted, you'll see how those are written. Uh, you can really look up um, IEP goals for, let's say it's executive functioning, because that's a pretty popular one too. Uh, if we put in IEP goals for executive functioning, you will find a ton of information out there. And all of them, you know, they're all different. They're all written differently. I would say there is a style to writing IEPs, but you need to just make sure whatever it is that you're, you, whatever style you work with um, is dependent on what the student needs are, and so, uh, and that you meet all of that SMART criteria, right? That we're being very specific, um, and that everything is measurable, and we'll know how we've met or not met this goal at the end. And after writing goals, sometimes they have to be revised again because we we've written them and we're like, oh, we're not really sure uh, how we're going to do that, you know. Um, so we have to go back and refine. Or we, we're like, oh, we put the program in there that we're going to use, but we didn't say how we're going to know when the student is successful. So we have to go back and add that. Uh, so again, different people might write these goals. So maybe a speech therapist would write the speech goals, or maybe uh, a school psychologist would be writing some of the social emotional goals on there. OT would have their own set of goals. ABA would have their own set of goals. And maybe uh, the general ed teacher would have another set of goals. Maybe the special ed teacher would have their set of goals. Um, so one strategy, this is why we have a team, right? Because it's a lot of work to create this. We would have each uh, area maybe draft up some goal ideas. And then we bring them all together and put them on the form. And then with the parents... And the team chair, whoever's leading the meeting, then we can look at the goals and refine them. Uh, so that is that, that's sort of a high level <laughs> of the process. Uh, and I know it sounds like a lot, and I'm telling you it's high level, but definitely uh, part of the process. And, and it, it can take uh, many iterations of doing that. Now, what 
what can happen is that the team designs an IEP, the parents look at it, and then the parents decide whether this makes sense or not, um, and then we can make revisions. Oftentimes, I would say that by the time we get to the final, um, you know, approval process of an IEP, nothing should be a surprise here. By the time we get to this place, teachers would have been talking to the parents, you know, all of the different therapists and anyone working with the student. Parents should have been talking all this time, and we should kind of know what should be on the IEP by now. And by the time we get to that final writing process or final approval process, um, we should know what what's on there. Everyone should be pretty familiar because we would have had a lot of conversations beforehand. So if you're not having these conversations, um, that would be the first thing is to make sure that everyone is on the same page and that you have a really good dialogue and communication with your uh, with the team and everyone that is working with the student. And that's for everyone involved on the team. Everyone should kind of know what's going on with the student. Um, okay, so as we move past the goals, and again, I said you could have several on here, or maybe it's, it could just be one sometimes. Um, but but I would say with students with autism, there's usually more than one. So, uh, but but again, everybody's different. So, uh, and everybody's priorities and needs are different. So, uh, there is no set amount of goals. Uh, we just make sure that we're realistic you know, and we're not throwing everything at this poor student um, and, you know, educators and that there's too much happening here. We need to make sure that we, we pick what is most important. And then what we have after that is uh, what's called the service delivery uh, grid. A lot of people call it the grid because it, 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 it does look like a grid. Um, and what this grid shows is who will be working with the student on the various goals. So um, we would have on here, you know, if there are any consultation services. So sometimes there are consultation services with uh, a behaviorist, uh, a BCBA, a school psychologist, maybe it's a speech therapist. It could be a lot of different people. But in this grid, we would list out what type of service it is. So in the top part, it would be a consultation um, and who is the person, the type of personnel that's involved, and then how often are are they me- are they meeting for a consultation? So this consultation could be with the team. The consultation could be with the general ed teacher. Um, it's probably a combination of all of the people working with the student um, in some way. And so uh, we have the frequency and the duration when they actually meet. So that's what falls here. We also have listed here what goals are being focused on um, with that particular person. So if we have a goal to work on emotional regulation, let's say that's goal one, we want to make sure goal one is associated with a school psychologist or an adjustment counselor or someone that makes sense to be working on that particular goal. So that's what falls under the consultation. Uh, That's part A of this service delivery um, grid or special ed services. That could be the other thing that it's called. Uh, Part B of that is any special education services uh, or anything related to services in the general um, ed classroom. So direct services to the student. Again, we're going to list out the goal number that we're working on, the type of service that's happening, And then who is responsible for that? 
We'll also see what the frequency and duration is for each, uh, you know, for each one of these interactions to meet that goal. And then there'll be dates, which are generally the dates of the entire IEP, again, which is that one year time frame. But it could be different. It could be that there's a particular goal that we know we're going to expect three months for that goal. So it could be modified, but it just depends. Um, what I would caution in, and, and oh, I'm sorry, and then we move to the part C, which is special education and related services in other settings. So remember, we had that general education piece under PLEP A. Now we have the any other needs, other educational needs that falls under here under C. So we would have um, things like occupational therapy, speech therapy. Um, maybe there's other social skills pieces that fall under here. Again, what's the goal number? What type of services being provided? Who is the personnel that is responsible for that? And how often are they meeting? So, uh, and then what's the time frame around it? So this is the grid that holds people accountable for the goals that were created previously. So what I would suggest here, sometimes you might see multiple people under a particular goal. Sometimes that's okay. Um, so for example, let's say we have uh, a social skills goal for self-advocacy. There might be two people working on that. It might be the speech therapist uh, and the general ed teacher. It could be that that is the um, school psychologist and the general ed teacher because we might be working on the skill during one part of the day, um, building the skill. And then we want to see the student implement that skill during their regular ed classroom. So those are the two people that would be responsible. But we would need to know earlier on when we created the goal what, who is responsible for what, right? So we know that um, perhaps the school psychologist would be responsible for building the skill and creating the lessons around self-advocacy. But then the general ed teacher would be someone maybe collecting data on seeing how often the student uses the skill that the psychologist taught in the general ed classroom. So it's two separate pieces, and two people are responsible for that, but they're responsible for different parts of the goal, which we should have written when we created the goal. So it, gets, it, it can get really multi-layered here, um, but what we don't want to see is just that we're listing you know, a list of people here, and we're not really sure who's actually responsible and who will be doing the work, um, and who, who basically is ultimately accountable for making sure that this goal gets implemented properly. So um, again, this also needs to be, this service delivery grid needs to be specific so that we know who is responsible for what. So once we get past the service delivery grid, now um, there is another section that will ask, is the student being removed from the general ed classroom at any time? So the idea here is we really want inclusion. We really want all students to be able to be in the general ed classroom as much as possible so that they're with their peers and they're learning in the same environment and they have access to all of the same curriculum that all of their peers do. 
we do also recognize that some students need to get pulled from that environment, whether it's sometimes or perhaps all of the time, so that they can actually build the skill and learn what they need to learn to be able to be in that general ed classroom. Um, some students might not ever be able to do that, or maybe they're in a separate classroom more than they're in the general ed classroom. This particular part of the document is really calling into question, why are we taking the student out of a general ed classroom if we have to? So for some students, um, that could be for speech, uh, speech therapy. Uh, for some, it could be for occupational therapy. For some, it could be for uh, maybe they're meeting with a school psychologist or an adjustment counselor at the school. So that could be another reason. Um, and for some students, maybe they need to work with a special ed teacher specifically for accessing curriculum. So some, you know, you'll hear the term, oh, well, my kid gets pulled for reading or my kid gets pulled for math. And generally what that means is the student will leave the general ed classroom during math instruction so that they work in a maybe a smaller environment with a special ed teacher so that they can learn the same information, but in a smaller setting. And maybe that uh, learning is taking place in a more uh, broken down, step-by-step uh, -step fashion. Or this is where if uh, curriculum has been modified, uh, this might be where that's happening as well. So when you hear those terms, um, you know, students getting pulled for speech or pulled for math, you know, that's, that's what's happening there. There are also scenarios where all of these specialists, a special ed teacher or a speech therapist or OT, can push in. So we use the term pull out, but we can also push into the classroom, which is also a desired thing, so that it keeps our kids in the classroom with their peers. So speech might push in and work with a student during writing time, let's say, uh, and help them be able to access the keyboard better so that they can actually work on the expressive language piece real time while they're in the lesson. Um, perhaps OT would push in to help a student work uh, with their um, fine motor skills to be able to hold a pencil uh, or some other writing implement to be able to then write their uh, physically write, practice writing, and then the the OT would be there to help with that. Um, some, you know, as I'm talking, like the the expressive language of writing, which is, you know, have you been able to think critically and be able to express your thoughts, um, is one piece. Actually being able to physically put those thoughts down on paper is another process, right? So some kids might also need a scribe or maybe they use voice to text. This is very common now. Um, and so, I, I, heck, I use voice to text on my phone so that I, it's easier for me than to type. Um, so those types of accommodations can be pushed in. So it could be maybe a para professional works with a student in helping some implement some of these things. But whatever they are, we need to capture them. So we have uh, the one piece where we're justifying why a student might get pulled from a classroom. If someone gets pushed in, um, then that would be captured earlier on in the goal development. Okay, so as we move through there, we now have schedule modification. So does this student need a shorter school day? Do they need a shorter school year? Or maybe it's the other way around. They need a longer school day or they need a longer 
uh, school year. So one thing to think about when we're looking at this is you might have one student that needs a shorter day, maybe because of anxiety or because of stamina. Um, and so we would think about that. And those are just two examples. Uh, so that might be one thing. But maybe we have another student that needs to be there longer because they need more structure in their day. Or maybe they're having additional services at the end of the school day. Uh, we might have students that need a longer school year so that there's not regression during the summer. And that happens often, happens with a lot of students, not just kids on IEPs, right? So reading might slip, math might slip, um, memory of, you know, skills and knowledge built in the year before might slip. So we might think about having an extended school year, having them go through the summer, if that's something that will keep the student from sliding beyond what their typical peers would do. So um, again, another question. All of these uh, call into question a lot of different pieces. So uh, this is definitely something to be decided with all of the professionals working with a student as well as what the family needs are. So we really need to think about family needs in here as well. So um, once we do that, if we decide we're going to modify a schedule, we write up how we're going to do that and why. Um, the other piece might be your transportation services. So does um, your student need something beyond whatever the regular transportation is that's offered. So do they need a smaller bus? Do they need a particular special type of seating? Do they need handicap accessible uh, type of bus that um, is maybe more specialized than a typical big school bus? Um, so all that would get put on here as well. So once we do all of that, we now have state and district-wide um, Assessment. So this covers beyond, right, the regular classroom tests. We're now focusing on state tests and district testing. So we want to make sure all of the accommodations, like I said before, we had for regular assessment are now captured here for state testing or district-wide testing. So if there's a scribe that we use day-to-day, that scribe needs to be here now. If there is a particular graphic organizer we use day to day, it needs to be here in this place now. Um, if the student is used to working with a particular person every day for their regular, uh, regular ed and you know day to day type of coursework, we need to make sure they have access to this person during state testing and district wide testing. We we call it high stakes testing sometimes because these are like the big tests. I put that in quote. Um, but whatever the student is used to using in their day-to-day -day, all needs to be reflected here because we don't want to change the environment on a student when it's a test that is state or district-wide. Why would we do that? We want to make sure that they have access to the same tools, the same resources, the same people, and that they're in a, as much of a comfortable setting as possible when we talk about state and district-wide testing so it accurately reflects what the student has been able to do in the regular general ed setting or special ed setting, okay? So that is district uh, and state assessment. And then we have another piece that has additional information. So pretty much here, if there's anything else we haven't talked about yet, this is where we put it. 
Okay. So, um, you know, we would include additional, are, are we looking at transition planning for the student? So here we might talk about, um, you know, different types of needs for a student that we're already looking at uh, when their graduation date is going to be. Um, who, you know, are we making any sort of referrals? Is the student going to be able to work? Are they looking at uh, post high school type of um, education? So these are all, this is where we would capture sort of all of this other information that may not have been captured earlier. Um, and uh, we also talk here about perhaps when the next review meeting is going to be, if, you're, if your child or your student might be up for testing uh, soon. This might be where we would, you know, kind of write that in there. Um, and, and again, like I said, pretty much anything else that hasn't been captured sooner, I would think most things would have been by now. Uh, but let's say there was something else that we missed, we would put it here. And there, in the state of Massachusetts, uh, which is different than other states, um, but I also know there are, I think there are 23 other states that actually take autism criteria very specifically into account on an IEP and also when we're looking at eligibility. Uh, but we also want to make sure we think about uh, anything else your state might require specific to uh, the disability that we're looking at. So, for example, if we're looking at the 23 states that are looking at autism as um, a very specific disability and areas we need to look at, and even if your state is not one of them, these are areas you should look at <laughs> when you're creating an IEP. So these areas are um, verbal and nonverbal communication needs of the student. You need to look at uh, the social interaction skills and proficiencies. You would also need to look at any unusual responses to sensory experiences for a student. We also want to look at resistance to environmental change or change in daily routine, or some people might call these transition you know, difficulties. Um, also, uh, any repetitive activities or stereotyped movements that we've talked about when we talk about um, the diagnostic criteria for autism. Um, also, are there any positive behavioral interventions or strategies or supports uh, for behavioral difficulties? So let's, this is where we're looking at the behavioral piece as a result of autism. And then is there anything else that we haven't, that we haven't talked about? The other piece that falls in place um, in many states as well is bullying. Um, I know in the state of Massachusetts, bullying has its own piece, um, and it also needs to be looked at. Does the student understand what bullying is? Does the student know how to self-advocate? If they're faced with bullying, does the student know who to go to if they feel that they have been bullied? So those are that's a pretty high level look at bullying, but definitely check to see if there are specific bullying uh, criteria, especially for students with special needs uh, in your state, because those also need to be addressed here. And those can be part of the goal development. So we make sure that um, kids are who are might be at risk learn the skills and build the skills that they need. And that should also get reflected here. So I know that's a lot. Um, the last piece is now finally uh, the response section. So this is where now the parents received this document. They look at it and they decide if they are going to accept the um, 
accept the IEP or not, right? So the special ed director or perhaps the team chair would sign on this. Um, it kind of depends. Uh, and then after that, then the parents would look at it and decide if they want to accept it. And so there's different options. They can accept the entire IEP the way it was designed. Um, hopefully that's where you're at because most of the time, people would have already known what to expect on this IEP. Um, perhaps in a preview of the IEP before the final meeting, um, you can look at it and then if there's any refinements, we can address any of those refinements before we go get to this place. The other thing one can do is re reject the entire IEP. Like, I don't like any of this on here. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, we, we, I'm rejecting it. And then basically we need to go back to the drawing board as a team. If the other piece way to do it is that you can reject portions of the IEP. So as a parent, you're like, yeah, most of this makes sense to me, but I don't like this piece. This makes no sense to me. And it could be a goal. It could be part of the, um, the vision. It could, be, it could be anything. If as a parent you don't agree with a part of it, you can accept most of it and reject a piece of it. And then this is where you would write what piece you are rejecting and why. Uh, and then, you know, there, the parent would sign that as well. And then you move into uh, any additional parent comments, specifically if the IEP was rejected or partially rejected. Um, and then from here, we uh, also have a placement form. So this is where we want to make sure, uh, if we can, a student is in full inclusion so that they're in uh, the typical classroom setting. Other parts could be that they're in partial inclusion, so your student or a student and your child are um, in a regular general ed classroom part of the time, and then we would be very specific why, uh, as we mentioned earlier, and for what percentage of time. Perhaps the student or child really needs a, what they call a substantially separate classroom. So it would be a classroom designed to help address your student and usually a small group of students needs, right? So this would be very direct, um, small group instruction. And again, that would have already been described earlier on in the IEP as to why this type of classroom is needed. Um, another option on here could be a separate day school. So maybe um, this student actually has an out-of-district placement, which is another thing that can happen. If a school district is really, really and I mean, it takes a lot, really not able to meet your student's needs or your child's needs. Um, one can request that they be placed uh, in another school, um, and that would be called an out-of-district placement. Oftentimes it's to a private school or a therapeutic school uh, or a very specific school that meets, uh, that is designed to meet a student's specific disability. Um, and then there could be a residential school. So there are some cases where a student uh, or a child might need to be in a residential school setting. So that could be another option. And there's always the other. So maybe there's something else that isn't captured here that might be better suited for the student. And again, all of these uh, decisions are not made lightly uh, and they should all be taken into account, again, given what a student's very specific needs are. And then later on under the 
um, the placement setting here, we can also talk about other non-educational placements that are not determined by the team. So is a student in, um, you know, a facility for detained youth? Um, or are they in a psychiatric hospital? Um, or uh, are they in some type of rehabilitation hospital? Um, so the, there are there are a lot of other pieces that come into play here, aside from um, you know you're just your general school setting, and we need to take all of those into account. Sometimes students are ill and need to be home, so um, that could be another setting. So a home based program. And then that would be a whole nother type of IEP. It's the same document, but we would be very specific to what at-home instruction would look to, would look like. Sometimes teachers are sent to students' homes um, to help them access the curriculum and basically teach them uh, in their home setting. Uh, or perhaps it's in some other setting that the student happens to be in. So after all that, we have uh, a consent Again, that confirms that you're consenting as a parent to the placement. Oftentimes, that would just be full inclusion, maybe partial inclusion. Um, but again, depending on which one you selected, parents have to agree or someone acting on behalf of the parent, which would have uh, perhaps custody or legal authority to make that decision as well. So... Those are all the pieces of an IEP. It is a very, <laughs> it is a very uh, lengthy document. The process is a lengthy process, and it is not one that should be taken lightly. Um, and the other thing I would say about the IEP process is that it is, uh, you know, something that can be dynamic. This is not a fixed document. So while we just talked about that goals need to be really specific and they need to be measurable and we need to know who's accountable and uh, we know what we're working on, this is a living document. A parent can call a meeting at any time to revise this document. And of course, you need to have a reason and we need to you know, know why we're you know, changing something. Um, it could be that a student has mastered a skill and so now we can add a different one. And so we write up how they've done again in that strength area and what their accomplishments are. And then we, add, we can maybe add on a new goal or expand on the original goal that was mastered. Um, perhaps we find that something's not working and so we need to you know, make a change and use a different type of strategy. We need to capture that on here as well. Perhaps we add a diagnosis to a student's profile. Um, in adding that diagnosis, does it change how we would work with the student? Sometimes that's yes and sometimes that's no. Uh, and so we would look at that again. Have there been any additional assessments done uh, since we first created this IEP? We have to look at those. We have to include them. Um, so this is a living and breathing dynamic document that can be changed at any time. Uh, if teachers have concerns, they too can raise them and edit the document. But I would say I think the most important thing in creating this type of document, just like we talked about with the IFSP, is communication, communication, <laughs> and more communication. We want to make sure that students are uh, really understanding um, 
why these things are happening. And the best way to do that is if parents and educators are all on the same page and able to be able to create a really customizable education program. So thank you so much for listening in. I hope this is helpful. If you have any questions, please reach out to me. And I look forward to talking to you all soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.